Well, if you've got your copy of God's Word, we're going to look at one verse of Scripture today. It's going to be out of the Old Testament book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 8 and verse 20. And we're going to read that verse together in just a moment. And I'm going to give you the background of it a little bit later in this message. But we come today to the third and final message in this series that we are calling A Heart for the Harvest. We began two Sundays ago with a message out of Matthew 9 that we call laboring in the Lord's harvest. We looked at how Jesus said to his disciples that the harvest was plentiful, but the laborers were few. And to pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send out workers, laborers into his harvest. Last week we looked out of John 4 when Jesus told his disciples to lift up their eyes and see that the fields were white unto harvest. And he was speaking specifically about the Samaritans through the witness of the woman at the well that were coming out to meet this Jesus. And so in this final message, you'll note on the screen there and on your listening guide, our title is Lamenting Over the Lost Harvest. That word, lament. It's from the Latin word lamenta, which meant to weep or to wail. And we're going to look at three laments today. But I first of all want us to read this one passage of Scripture, this one verse. And so if you're able, I'm going to ask in honor of God's Word, would you join in standing? And the verse is going to be on the screen, Jeremiah chapter 8 and verse 20. And what I'd like for us to do is read this verse together out loud. Jeremiah 8, 20. Let's read it. The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. Let's read it again. The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. Ecclesiastes 4.12 says, a threefold cord is not easily broken. So for the third time, would you read it out loud? The harvest May God add his blessing to that powerful word. Thank you, friends. You may be seated. Have you ever been reading along and you hit a line, you hit a sentence that just seems to jump off the page and bite you in the heart? That happened to me a few years ago, and this was the sentence. I, I really don't even remember the author now. I, I do remember I wrote it down. This particular writer said this, I have no fear that the church will not succeed, but that the church will succeed in things that do not matter. Man, that got to me. And what does matter? What matters to God? What should matter to His church? Well, friends, I hope that you've grasped it in this series. What matters to God are the souls of people. What matters to God is the harvest. You think about a farmer. It really does not matter how big his barn is. It really does not matter how many fields he has or how well cultivated they are or how much seed he has sown. What matters to the farmer 
is the harvest. I want you to look on your listening guide at this first introductory statement, and it is this. The farmer who does not bring in the harvest is a failure. And friends, we might as well say it out loud. The church that does not bring in the harvest is a failure. We have failed to keep the main thing, the main thing, if we are not involved in reaping souls for Christ. This is behind this statement out of Jeremiah chapter 8 and verse 20. It's one of the saddest statements in my mind in all the Word of God. For Jeremiah speaking on behalf of the people, this is what they were saying. The harvest is past. The summer is ended and we are not saved. I'll give you a little background. The year was about 587 B.C. And Jerusalem was under siege from Babylon. And Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, if you read Jeremiah 8, he's been talking about such things as the cities are going to be destroyed and the fields are going to be ravaged. There'll be no grapes. There'll be no figs. Instead, there are going to be snakes that are going to come and people are going to be captured or people are going to be killed. And Israel's problem was rebellion against God, disobedience. God had raised up a world power, Babylon to come in and conquer them. And instead of repenting and turning back to God for for deliverance, God's people actually tried to make an alliance with Egypt to save them. But Babylon just conquered Egypt and kept right on marching. And this was a problem in that day. They had city walls that would protect them. The walls of Jerusalem were very famous. But the crops, the fields that they would harvest were outside the city walls. And so all an enemy had to do was be sure that the harvest was not brought in and the enemy knew that eventually the people would starve to death. Listen, there's a great spiritual takeaway for me in that statement. All the enemy of our souls needs to do, friend, is to be sure that we as the people of God do not bring in the spiritual harvest. And we are done for. And the plight of the people in Jeremiah's day was they were waiting and waiting on a deliverance that never came. That's why they said, the season for harvesting, the summertime, it's ended, and we are not saved. They realized that they were in dire straits. They were in great trouble. You'll note this second introductory statement on your listening guide there, and it is this. Our text reminds us that there is no loss like the loss of the harvest. I wanted you to write that word down twice purposefully. To think about the loss of the harvest. And I think there's great spiritual application out of this one verse of Scripture today when we wrap up this series about having a heart for the harvest. And we need to lament when the harvest is a loss. Three laments I want to share with you out of this one verse of Scripture. So let's dig in. Number one, I want to say this to you. Lament number one is this. There are souls that are perishing. What did the people say in Jeremiah's day? The harvest is past. 
And folks, if that is true in a spiritual sense, then that means that the harvest, the harvest of souls, people being reaped for the master, is passing every single day. Lives are being lost, and there are souls that are perishing. Then note two aspects of this. First, I want you to note there item A. This terrible reality is true in an international sense. I want to remind us today that the harvest is passing by. Souls are perishing globally. Went online to check this and you get different figures, but this seems fairly accurate that the estimate is that there are 166,324 people that die every single day around the world. So that's 6,730 every hour. I'm saying to you that by the time we have had this worship service, somewhere in the world, 6,000, excuse me, 930, almost 7,000 people would have died around the world in this hour. Now, if you look at statistics about how many people in the world are Christian, this is a very liberal assessment that 32%. I think it's, it's really less than that, but let's use that figure. That means that every single day, 113,100 people that are lost die. That is 4,712 people that will plunge into hell during this hour of this worship service. And folks, we are way behind in reaching a lost world. There's a ministry called the Joshua Project, and they have an estimate that there are 7,400 ethnic people groups in the world that are considered unreached. 7,400. Now, to be unreached means that there's less than 2% of Christians in that ethnic people group. And the International Mission Board says that that particular number represents 59% of the world's population, 4.6 billion people who live in an unreached people group. And the IMB says this, that of that number, 3,000 of those people groups are not only considered unreached, but unengaged, which means that there's no active church planning movement going on at all. That means people in 3,000 people groups around this world, no few, if any, Christians. Do you know that alive today, lost people, there are 10 times as many lost people alive around the world today than the entire population of the world when Jesus gave the Great Commission, souls are perishing. And friends, souls are perishing right here in our own country. Do you know there are only three nations in the world that have more lost people than America? China, India, and Indonesia. It's been estimated that there are 340 million people in America and that 282 million of them are lost. Friends, souls are perishing 
in an international sense. But notice item B there. This terrible reality is true not only in an international sense, but it is true in an individual sense. The harvest is passing by. Individuals, I dare say, somebody, maybe several somebodies, even in this worship center, is a part of the harvest that has not yet been brought in. Certainly, maybe others that are engaging with us online. The harvest is passing. Now, it's not passed yet because you're still alive. But friends, there is a danger of ever saying no to the gospel. And the danger is, every time somebody says no to Jesus, no to receiving Christ, I believe it's like another layer of crust goes on that heart, and the heart becomes more and more hardened. And I believe there'll come a day when that person who has so hardened his heart by continuing to say no, and it gets easier to say no the next time, and the next time, I think there'll come a time when that person cannot even sense that wooing and that drawing of the Holy Spirit. That's why Ecclesiastes 12.1 said, you need to remember your Creator in the days of your youth. Folks, one of the things that we ought to be excited about at Crossroads Community Church is the wonderful efforts toward reaching children and toward reaching youth. Because I'm telling you, those are fertile harvest fields. We used to say, boy, you better reach them, you know, before they get out of their teenage years. Folks, we better reach them before they get into their teenage years. I read some years ago a well-known evangelist as he evaluated the results of his own crusades, he came up with this insight. He, his opinion was that if a person was not saved by age 21, the odds were 5,000 to 1 against that person ever being saved. If they were not saved by age 30, those odds were 15,000 to 1. If they were not saved by age 40, the odds were 30,000 to 1. And if they were not saved by age 50, the odds were 150,000 to 1. They would never be saved. Friends, you can't afford to take those risks. While your heart is softened, if you're hearing this message, then there's something in you that resonates that says, I'm part of the harvest that is passing. I, I pray you'll be awakened by this prophetic word. And while there's still time, you will be saved. We ought to lament the fact that souls are perishing. But I want you to note item two there on your listening guide, and it is this, lament number two. There is a season that is passing. The people of God said in that day the harvest is past. The summer is ended. Why would they say the, the harvest is past? Because the harvest had to come in during the summer. We said last Sunday in that culture, in that climate of that day, they would sow in January, they'd reap in May, maybe into June. But you get on through those hot summer months, and the crop would be spoiled. The heat would literally dry it up. The sun would bake it. What is the spiritual application, folks? Lean into this. Just as there is a limited season for harvesting grain, there's a limited season for harvesting souls. And I want you to note two truths at this point. First this, this timely reality is true for the saint. 
And every child of God, if you look at item A, every child of God is a saint. And when a saint dies, what has happened? That season in which that saint could reap souls has passed. There was a Scottish missionary in the 1800s named Robert Moffat. And he said this, we will have all eternity to celebrate our victories. But only one short hour before the sun goes down in which to win them. That's why the Lord Jesus said this in John chapter 9 and verse 4. We must work the work of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one will work. I've reminded you in this series there are things that will not take place in heaven. Right? There will be no preaching in heaven. There'll be no giving, no offerings in heaven. I like the line that says, we need, do, we need to do our giving while we're living so we're knowing where it's going. Be no capital campaigns in heaven. But friends, listen, there'll be no missions. There'll be no evangelism. There'll be no soul winning in heaven. It's too late then. The season of harvesting will be over. The summer of life. For a saint who could sow gospel seed will be over. When a saint goes to heaven, he can't help any more sinners to miss hell. I'm saying whatever we're going to do, let's do it now. Now that was item A. I want you to notice item B. And it is this. This timely reality is true for the sinner. Folks, the harvest is past. Summer has ended for the sinner, the lost person, someone without Christ when that person dies. Those really ought to be terrifying words. You see, there'll be no harvest in hell because there's no seed that's sown in hell. I read years ago about a young man that was lost. He was going out into a night of sin, and his dear mother, who was a Christian, stopped him on the way out the door and put a gospel track in his hand. He looked and said, oh, this gospel track. He said, somebody gave me a gospel track at work today. I went out to eat lunch today, and there was a gospel track that was on the table there. I picked it up and looked at it. Is there anywhere I can go where I won't have to see a gospel track? And his mother, with a tear, on her face said, son, yes, you can go to hell. There'll be no gospel tracks there. Folks, when the summer of a sinner's life has ended, we ought to lament the fact that that harvest time has passed. So I'm just saying, if you're here today, you're still open, you're, you're still tender, you, you sense God calling you to himself, you, you, you know that Christ is real, salvation is real, hell is real, heaven is real, you need to repent of your sins, place your faith in Jesus Christ. Whatever you do, don't delay. Don't put it off. Don't procrastinate. Our hearts ought to be broken because there are souls that are perishing and there's a season that is passing. But I want you to note this third truth, lament number three. There is a separation that is permanent. 
The verse says, Jeremiah 8:20, the harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. Folks, that's one of the saddest statements in all the Word of God to think that someone would apply that statement to his or her spiritual condition. That word saved has behind it the idea of being delivered, of being rescued, or being freed. But to think that those could be the final words, even eternal words, of somebody who winds up in hell. We are not saved. What a tragedy. And it ought to awaken both saints and sinners alike. Notice item A. This tragic reality should motivate saints to be soul winners. I mean, just think about the fact that there's a separation coming that is going to be permanent. People forever separated from God. That's why Jesus was so concerned about the harvest over there in Matthew 9 and verse 37 when he said the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. And you've heard me say in this series, a farmer can't stand at the doorway of of his house and beckon the wheat to get in the barn. Folks, we've got to get down in the midst of the wheat. We've got to get down there with people, and we've got to reap them for the Master. Before it is too late, either for us or for them. I was thinking about my freshman year of college at Troy State. Still had State on, in the name back then. A long time ago, but I had a great Christian roommate named Tommy, and there was a fellow living next to us named Joe next to us in the dormitory. And Joe was a big, burly football player, kind of an intimidating guy. And from all appearances, he, he certainly was living a, the life of a lost person. I remember going down to the community bathroom. Remember those guys in the dorm, right? And one day, and he, Joe was in there and was digging in the little spigot there by the sink. And I said, what are you doing, man? He said, well, I'm trying to get this little screen off so I can put it on a pipe, and I can smoke my dope that way. And I remember one time that Joe came into our room, and he just stood there and just looked around. We had Jesus posters on the wall. We had Jesus bumper stickers on our little, you know, chalkboard or little bulletin board, and we were playing Jesus music probably on our eight track (laughs) during that time, right? But here's the problem, folks. I was too intimidated to open my mouth and try to share a witness with Joe. I never did. And so you can imagine how shocked and saddened I was when, I don't know, a year or two later, I was sitting at my folks' house in Montgomery, and I heard the news report that this fellow Joe, riding down 231, about 2.30 in the morning, stoned out of his mind, going the wrong way, was involved in a head-on collision and was killed instantly. You know what occurred to me later? His last name was Fields. And that was a field that I did not even try to sow seed, much less reap. That haunted me throughout my college years. My very last year, I had a fellow living next to me named Danny. He was a baseball player. I don't know why God always put me next to athletes. But you know, I let the 
year go by, and I, I didn't know if Danny was saved or not. I didn't really know him that well. And, man, I got up to the last day, and I remember Danny was loading his car. He was done. He was going to drive off the campus. And so I finally mustered the courage to have a conversation with him and just engage him in a, a talk about the gospel. And I found out that, indeed, he had come to saving faith in Christ. But, folks, I'm just trying to remind you, we need to be motivated to be soul winners. The tragic reality that there's a separation coming and that it's going to be forever. That ought to just motivate us. You know, Jesus, in one of his most famous stories, he mentioned the fact in Luke 16 about how there was a separation coming that was going to be forever when he talked about the rich man and Lazarus, and Lazarus died. He was a saved man. He was carried by the angels to the side of Abraham. But Lazarus, while he was saved, the rich man, Jesus said, died. And in hell, he lifted up his eyes. And he was in torment in the flames. Remember the story? And the rich man said, can you send, Father Abraham, can you send Lazarus down here just to dip his finger in the water and cool my tongue? For I'm tormented in these flames. Now, folks, those are not the words of a Baptist preacher. That is red ink on white paper. Those are the words of Jesus. And Abraham says, no, no, nobody can come from here to there. Nobody can go from heaven to hell. Nobody can go from hell to heaven. There is a chasm, a great gulf that is fixed. Friends, double-click on this truth and download it into your soul. The gates of hell only swing one way. You can enter, but you can never exit. And that tragic reality ought to motivate sinners to be saved. I'm telling you, there, there ought to be dismay. There ought to be terror to think about being separated from a holy God forever. I would to God, if you're here today or you're watching online and you've never received Christ, you would personalize this statement individualize it. Not we are not saved, but I am not saved. Individualize it and personalize it this way. I am condemned already. John 3, 18. I am already under the wrath of God. I must appear before the great white throne of God. I I'm on my way to hell. I am not saved. I'm in church, but I'm not saved. Others have prayed for me, but I'm not saved. I know the truth, but I am not saved. What a tragic reality. Now drop to that conclusion, and I want you to note this statement. I want to say it to you with a heart of love, but how foolish it is for anyone not to be prepared for death. Friends, Hebrews 9.27 tells us, it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. How foolish to know your whole life something is coming, death, and after this judgment, and not be prepared, not be ready Folks, we hear a warning about a hurricane or a tornado, and we get ready. Hell is coming. 
judgment is coming. Your life will end. Everybody's life will end. I was just thinking, driving down here today, I didn't even say this to Cynthia, but I thought, you know, 8 billion people on this planet in 120 years, every single one of them will be dead. Every person alive on this planet Earth in 120 years will be dead. And they'll either be in heaven or hell. Let me read this part of a poem by J. Whitfield Green. When the choir has sung its last anthem and the preacher has made his last prayer, when the people have heard their last sermon and the sound has died out in the air, when the Bible lies closed on the altar and the pews are all empty of men and each one stands facing his record and the great book is open, what then? When the actors have played their last drama and the mimic has made his last fun, when the film has flashed its last picture and the billboard displayed its last run when the crowds seeking pleasure have vanished and gone out in the darkness again when the trumpet of ages is sounded and we stand before him what then friends I'm going to tell you what then is recorded in Revelation 20 when John said, I saw the dead, great and small, stand before God, and the books were open. And the dead were judged out of those things that were written in the book. And there's another book open, the book of life, and John saw it, whoever's name was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That's what sin? Late last night I was reading, I ran across a story from the ministry of Dwight L. Moody, that great evangelist of another era, and he talked about one of his crusades that he was conducting, and there was a man that came every night and said, I was very concerned for him, and I actually pulled him aside, and, and I was talking with him, and I said, are you going to become a Christian? Will you come out for Christ now? And the man delayed, even though he was trembling, and he wanted to, but he said, not yet, and D.L. Moody finally found out the man was afraid of his friends. They'd make fun of him. And Moody tried to say, well, in heaven, you'll long since forget any fun you might have missed on this earth. But the man put it off and put it off. And then the call came that the man was very sick. This was some time later. And the wife sent for Moody, and he went to see the man. And the man said, is it too late to be saved in the 11th hour? And Moody said no, and he pleaded with the man to be saved, and the man kept procrastinating and, and just kept putting it off. And he, he said, I, I, I'm almost there, but, but, but not now. And, and then Moody left. Then he received word that the man kind of had a little rebound. He was doing better. And Moody went back to see him. The fellow was sitting out on the porch, and Moody began to plead with him again, and he said, you know, I, I think I'm going to give my life to Christ next spring. I'm moving to Michigan. I'm going to buy a farm there. And Moody said, if you can't be saved on this porch today, don't think you can be saved in Michigan in the spring. And the man said, just, just not, not yet. Moody said, are you willing to take that risk? He said, preacher, I am. I'm willing to take that risk. One week from that conversation, the man had a relapse. The wife sent for Moody. The man was on what would be his deathbed. And Moody once again was pleading with him, and the man said, no, no, it's too late. 
The Lord came knocking when I was on my sickbed, and I said, no, but now my heart is as hard as steel. Moody said, well, let me pray for you. Don't waste your prayers, preacher. You can pray for my wife and my kids, but it is too late for me. And then the man began to say this sentence over and over. The harvest has passed. Summer has ended. I'm not saved. The harvest has passed. Summer has ended. I am not saved. His wife bent over as he was down to a whisper, and she heard his final words. The harvest has passed. The summer has ended. I am not saved. And he breathed his last. And Moody said he had lived a Christless life. He died a Christless death. He was wrapped in a Christless shroud, and he was buried in a Christless grave. Folks, let that story be a warning to you. Don't put it off. Here's the last statement I want to say to you, and it is this. May God help us to see the urgency of salvation today. Do not let that harvest be lost, friend, especially if it is you. And if you are one who has already been reaped for the master, pray that God would give you a heart for the harvest. Amen, church. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. In a moment, we're going to sing the song that has the appeal that says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Those that are going to lead us in this song will be making their way here to the platform. And as they come, I simply want to ask, what about you? Friend, there's a limited season during which harvest can take place. But you're here. You're in God's house. People have sung. People have prayed. Maybe someone invited you. Maybe today could be your day to be reaped for the Master. In a moment when we stand to sing, and I'll be standing here at the front. Brother Brandon is close by. If, if you want to give your heart to Christ, you want to be saved, you don't want to let this season pass by. Just come take one of us by the hand and just say, I need Christ. And we'll take it from there. Maybe you need a church home. This church would welcome you. Maybe you need to pray about being a better reaper, a better soul winner, having a larger heart for the harvest. Whatever the commitment of life, you decide right now you're going to come. And when we stand to sing and we turn our eyes upon Jesus. Would you walk toward him as you're walking toward the front? Lord, have your way now. Give courage while there's still time. Remind all of us that there are souls that are perishing, a season that is passing, and a separation in hell that's coming that is permanent. Give us all a heart for the harvest. And if there's anybody... Lord God, that needs to be harvested today, may they come. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm -hmm.